Blog Talk Radio.
to teaching Americans the absolute best fundamentals of rifle marksmanship course in the nation. The absolute best. Nobody does it like the Appleseed Project. Uh, really not too many people out there doing it at all, let alone to the uh, degree of professionalism that's being done by volunteers across the nation in the Appleseed Project. They're teaching you the absolute best fundamentals of rifle marksmanship program, uh, the absolute best in the nation. At the same time, they're going to teach you about what it means to be an American, about how the country got started, about the uh, events of April 19, 1775, uh, who was there that day, why they were there, what they did, and why they did it. That's going to get you uh, kick-started on understanding uh, how we came to be where we are. We'll talk to you about what the founders' ideas for the nation were. And then you can decide if if you think that our current track is in tune with what the founders envisioned for this nation. <clears throat> All right. Uh, we will be glad to start taking your calls at 347 308-8790 because we'd like for you to thank your uh, your local crews and let them know uh, that they're doing a good job if they have uh, if they have shot to rifleman standards if somebody's passed the PC if somebody's got their red hat then uh, give us a call 347-308-8790 and tell us about it if you have an after action report that uh, that you would like to uh, to put out, and we'd like to hear that too. All right. Uh, see, that we've got a lot of folks in the chat room. Can they, can you uh, can somebody in the chat room put in and make sure that uh, that this is going out over the air? Just uh, give a quick yes or no in the chat room, and uh, that'll let me know when I have any problems tonight. <clears throat> and uh, and then we'll bring on the the first caller here. We've got. Uh, Frank, uh, also a nomad on the forum. Frank, uh, yes. welcome to the show. Welcome. And uh, I'm one of the instructors out at Midland Shooters Association in Midland, Texas, and uh, we have a great range. Everybody loves it. We have room for over 100 shooters for apple seed, so I just wanted to tell folks November 10 and 11, that's next month, November 10th and 11th, we're having an apple seed, and we'd love to get lots of people out there. Bring the scout troops, bring your kids, bring your spouses, whoever. It's a great time. Okay, well, great. And now, uh, let's see. I just got a note from uh, Chuck Leeming, Red Dot, and I believe he's going to be your shoot boss. Oh, excellent. Weekend. So you guys are going to have Chuck. a great guy in charge. Chuck is really... Uh, He's really he's on the great. top of thing. Oh, yeah, he's a great instructor. He's a great shoot boss. Love him. Yeah. And just a few minutes ago, before we went on the air, I was talking to you about, uh, we're talking about Smokey, Smokey Briggs. He's going to be on just a little while. And uh, Smokey Briggs is part of uh, it's part of that whole West Texas scene out there. Smokey is part of the, uh, the shooting group that, uh, that shoots out there with the Midland group. You met Smokey, haven't you? Yes, he came out a couple of years ago with a bunch of scouts, I believe. And so they had a great time, and they camped out on the ground. 
So there yeah, is camping Smokey, if you want to camp out there. Smokey is a great guy, and uh, man, he's just he's got just about every iron in the fire you can imagine. And uh, we were also talking about how uh, even though Smokey's from out in uh, in far west, farther west Texas than you guys in Goodland, he's out in Texas. Right. That the driving distances. Uh, uh, for folks out in West Texas are a little bit different than than they are for most of the rest of the folks. Uh, when you're in, if you're in Pecos and you want a decent steak, then uh, you don't really think that much about driving uh, 90 or 120 miles one way to go and get it because that's just, uh, that's how it works out in West Texas. And I know that uh, the folks in uh, in Midland, and out in West Texas, even all the way out to El Paso, they they do a lot of uh, uh, of cross pollination back and forth out there. And Smokey's been a good friend to the to the Appleseed Project. Uh, so let's see, there was something else. I believe there was something else you were going to tell me about the, the upcoming Midland shooter. Wasn't there something else? Uh, no, it's just we have a great range, and we just want people to. Bring their friends on November 10th. Now, do you guys have the pit there at the Midland Range? Pardon? Do you guys have the pit, the rifle pit, you know, the uh, with the, uh, uh, you know, the targets that go down into the pit? No. We, well, some of our uh, range sections do have targets that are down in a pit. We just set up over the the one to four hundred uh, yard range, we just set up targets at twenty five meters for how many, however many shooters we have. We can take the whole okay. range. How, how are you guys going about getting the word out there in Midland? What are you guys doing to get the word out? Anything special that you're doing as far as well, promotions? I'm talking to the gun shops out here and whoever's involved, and then friends and relatives, and whoever I meet. Basically, well, that's still the number one method of uh, of getting the word out. And that's word of mouth. It's uh, telling the folks that you know about it and getting them to come to an event. Uh, right. There is there a gun show coming up in Midland? There's a gun show at the end of the month. End of the month. Last weekend this okay. month. So that will still let you go to the gun show before the Midland event. Right, and I'll hand out flyers there, too. Okay, perfect. All right, well, that'll be another chance for you to to get the word out there. And, uh, and uh, about how many folks will show up at the gun show? Oh, thousands. That's pretty busy. Okay, that's a pretty decent-sized gun show from the Midland area, right? Right. Okay. And... Uh, Let's see. Is there anything else you wanted to put out? What about a thank you for your local crew? Well, thanks for everybody that helps out with us, and thank you for the Midland Shooters Association for hosting. Well, I know that uh, Bill Martin's out there, and I know he's not much help at all, but... uh, Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's there for every shoot, along with John Krennic and a bunch of other guys. Yeah, Bill is a good guy. Yeah, they're they're both really great guys, and they're the reason that uh, 
that we have the, the shoot there in the first place, and uh, and one of the reasons that it keeps going. Bill is a great guy, and uh, he right. does a lot of work, and so does John. And John, he also does a lot of, of – uh, he always makes sure that everybody knows when uh, when they're having events, not just Appleseed, but any kind of uh, other events. And John will send a note out to everybody and let them know and, and invite right. everybody from across the state to come and shoot. And uh, we certainly appreciate that. Well, I want to thank you, uh, Frank, for the work that you're doing out there, and uh, and thank you for uh, for deciding to become an instructor because that's the only way that the program works. Is that uh, people decide they will come to an event and they will uh, go through an Appleseed uh, two-day rifle marksmanship course, and then for a lot of folks they'll. Uh, they'll decide that maybe that that's the way that they can that they can help out. You know, that they can plug themselves in and uh and help push the mission forward. Not just the apple seed mission, but the American mission. And the American mission is the one to uh make sure that uh, every American possible is uh, given a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a poke, a little bit of a shake and told that uh that they have to plug themselves in somewhere. And uh and I guess you decided that the Appleseed was one of the places you could plug yourself in, right? Definitely. And uh and where are you at so far on your instructor path? Oh, I think I got up to three and then I got demoted because I only went to two show two shoots the two living shoots. So <laughs> Well, thank you so much for uh, for your participation. All right, and, uh, and is there anything else you want to get out to, to put out on the air before you uh, before I put you back in the queue? No, I just um, I have a website. If you guys want to study law, it's an old um, uh, police officer that got stepped on by the IRS and went to a police friend of his, and it's state dash you know the minus sign citizen.org and it's just full of court cases and everything explaining how legally we fell into it and the two classes of citizenship and all that interesting material. Okay, just spell that one more time for everybody. State dash citizen.org State dash citizen.org Correct. And this is a website that uh, that shows uh, legal precedent cases for what yes. is it mainly concerned with? Pardon? What is it mainly concerned with? Your legal status, if you're a first-class citizen or a second-class citizen, and how to switch and what the difference is and how the federal intrusion occurred. And, I mean, just so much information, it'll blow your mind. Wow. Fake the first time you read it, right. State-citizen.org. Correct. All right. Well, that sounds good. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm gonna actually going to plug that in right now while I'm while I'm talking to you. So if I start uh, talking <laughs> slow like I am now, right now, that's fine. Then yeah, that I was is up one. till four o'clock getting really pissed off the first time I looked at the site years ago. It's okay. Just are, are you connected with this, Frank? 
I'm I know the gentleman that started the site in California and uh he's a crusty old guy but he knows his stuff. He's eighty years old I think and he's just brilliant. Sir Richard James McDonald, right. PhD. Right. Well, there you go. You got it. All right. Well listen, uh I'm going to pop you back in the queue. I wanna thank you again, Frank, for uh, for calling in and uh and giving your thanks out, reminding everybody about the Midland show coming up. That'll be the second weekend in November. And uh and we sure hope that your lines are filled and uh I want you to call in uh the week after, the Thursday after, and give us an AAR on it, okay? Okay, great. All right, All right. thank well, you very much, Frank. Thanks a lot, and I'll talk to you later. All right. Okay, bye bye. Uh, that was Frank uh, Frank Hone. I believe it's I believe he's Nomad on the forum. There may be a number after that. I'm not sure, but uh, uh, anyway, he wanted to let folks know about the uh, upcoming Midland shoot. And uh, I've got some other folks uh, calling in here now, and uh, I'm just going to check and see who this is because I'm not not exactly sure. But we'll check here, take another caller, and see. Uh, okay, caller, area code 760-500. You're on the air. 760-500. And if you don't, you don't have to talk to me once, I'll just put you back in the queue uh, if you're just listening. Uh, and area code uh, 719-287. You're on the air. Hey, is this Scout? That's right. Oh, I didn't want to talk, but this is Jim Heath. Who is it? Oh, I, I was just Jim Heath. One okay, shot, one hole. Oh, hey, Jim. How you doing? There you go. Well, I'm just now waiting you for it. your buddy. I was just waiting for your buddy to uh, to call in, unless for some reason he he dialed in on uh, Skype or something. Uh, I, because he told me he was going to call in at 7.15. But, well, that's uh, nice. But... Uh, we're gonna get we'll get you to go. Let me just check and we'll make sure that that's not him because he had okay. a uh, uh, he had a private number the last time I tried to last time he called me. Uh-huh. Uh, Pete, is that you? Hello, this is Peter. Pete, okay, Peter. Yes, this is Peter. All right, okay. Now you're showing up as a Skype number one one one. Oh, okay. okay. Well, great. Yeah, well, I got you both on the air. Guys, I got Peter, a uh, mountain man, who's the uh, Colorado. Rep and uh, uh, Jim Heath, these are both the uh, the Colorado fellows. And Peter wanted to call in and talk real quick about the Missouri uh, uh, Self Reliance Expo that uh, that he's involved in. So Peter, go ahead and give us a rundown on that. Okay, you bet. Um, thanks, Scout. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to let everyone know. I think we talked about it a little bit uh, two weeks ago on your show. But November 3rd and 4th, uh, we're going to be in Springfield, Missouri, at the Get Prepared Expo there. Uh, the best way to check that out is to go to their website and type in uh, www.usaprepares.com, and you can get all the information there. It's going to be over a Saturday and a Sunday. And we're real excited because uh, this is uh, the largest uh, self-reliance uh, expo in the country, uh, very well attended, and uh, Appleseed's going to be there, and we're going to have a, a booth, 
and we're also looking for some volunteers to come out and help with that. Well, that sounds great. So, listen, any of you guys that are out that way, out by the Missouri Way, and uh, and can swing over there and help me in the booth, help press the flesh and uh, pass out trifles and uh, and uh, and just help out any way you can, then they can sure use your help. This is another opportunity. Uh, you guys have been, you've heard me talking with the Colorado crowd and with uh, with Jim and Kim who've been working with the uh, Self-Reliance Expo. Now, this isn't, uh, this is not the Self-Reliance Expo that, uh, that Jim and Kim usually work with. This is a different one. Isn't that right, Jim? Yep. This is, uh, U.S. Preparers, USA Preparers. Uh, we did get okay. the contact through Dr. Prepper at, through the Self-Reliance Expos. And so he told us about this expo in Missouri and Peter, was persistent and talked with uh, Vince uh, Vanelli. Is that Vanelli? Um, yeah, Vanelli. Who, uh-huh. who runs it? Uh, apparently, a very well-known preparedness fellow. And I had not heard of him, but he seems pretty decent. And so Peter has worked with him and got us some space. Uh, apparently, as, uh, Peter knows better than I do, but as much space as we wanted. And they're looking forward to supporting Appleseed. Well, great. And uh, and. You guys have you, you you heard me say too, and uh, it's no different just because this isn't uh, the self reliance folks. This, this is a different group. That uh, the the bottom line is not going to be any different, and that is that uh, the the prepping community and Appleseed are made for each other. Uh, this isn't going to be a case where if you're if you were there helping out in Missouri, it's not going to be a case where you're going to have to. Uh, uh, to really give your spiel and try and, uh, uh, and try and get your foot in the door and keep them from slamming it on you. This is a case of uh, the prepping crews are all looking uh, for their for all of the pieces of their puzzle, and uh, rifle marksmanship is one of the pieces that they all want to have. And uh, so it's an easy sell, and it's a partnership uh, ready made. For apple seeds, so I really encourage you guys to do uh, to do the same thing that uh, that Jim and Kim and Peter and the the folks have been doing already, and that is look to your your local uh, your local prepping crews, and there's a prepping community in each and every state. There are there are multitudes of them, and uh, and talk to them. About uh, you know about forming an alliance with Appleseed, about uh, working with whatever prepping community there to uh, to get their folks some rifle marksmanship. Make sure that you guys are uh, you're not trying to do this all on your own. You can get a lot of the heavy lifting done by by making an alliance with uh, with some of these groups. I bet uh, I bet Jim and Kim. I bet. Uh, uh, there's there probably no other good way that you guys could go out on a weekend and, uh, and shake hands and talk with uh, two to 4,000 people on a weekend, right? Yeah, it doesn't happen too often except for these expos. Uh, so it, it's a, <laughs> you know, it's, it's great to spend a weekend at Appleseed with uh, 25, 30 students, and we get to spend a weekend, and we get to know them, and we get to touch them uh, hopefully in a way that uh, – that makes a difference in their lives uh, because we we're spending oh I don't know what are we spending 
15, 20, 30 hours with these folks, depending on not 30, but uh, up to 20 hours with these folks, and we can make a uh, we can see the impact we have on their lives um, in some cases. But at the expos, we still get to talk to lots of folks. We get to uh, you know, which I've mentioned before, we can talk to somebody for four or five minutes, and at the end. They'll shake our hand and say, thank you for doing what you're doing. Um, this country needs it. We need to get to an apple seed, those kind of things. And even though right. we don't have the impact that we have on a full weekend shoot, we still are in people thinking that there is hope because apple seed, as we look at it, is about the only message of hope out there uh, politically. And there are a few others. But uh, people come by, and the prepping world is not always, but it tends to be a little bit on the net. Side. And we're out there giving a message of hope is that you can make a difference, and it we can do that. Uh, and so, right. you know, and I think we uh, exactly. And I, I think to me, this is the the apple seed is like the epitome of uh, of prepping because you know as a prepper, what are you doing? You're trying to uh, you're trying to make sure that you're prepared for any of the eventualities and. And that's what we're doing in Appleseed. And I don't mean that you're that we're preparing as far as we're getting ready uh, to shoot at animals or invaders or you know or aliens or anything else. What I'm saying is that we're preparing uh, to to head off uh, disaster. We're trying to avert what could be a, a possible coming disaster. And if you as a prepper, if you could do that, that would be ten times better than having enough food and water and everything else to get through a disaster, if you could get together with a bunch of your friends and go out and do something on the weekend that could uh, possibly cause a tornado to bypass your, your community, uh, then absolutely you'd be doing that, right? And that's what we're doing. So I, I think that uh, I think that I, I know what you're saying. They've got a lot of folks, uh, they've got their head down, and they're saying, well, <clears throat> Uh, you know, there, nothing's going to fix this, and we're just going to have to weather through it. And uh, even still, uh, one of the things that I always tell folks is that Appleseed has a very powerful message. And uh, the the message is one that can break through to even uh, the, the, the hev most heavily fortified bunker and draw those folks out of their bunker and let them see that there is hope. We've done this over and over again, and I think that uh, I think that we do a great service uh, for our nation in that way. You know, there are plenty of people who have. Uh, I'm not going to say that I've met anybody that's gotten to the uh, uh, the Unabomber stage, you know, where they're locked in their little shed, uh, you know, thinking about the end of the world. But I have met a lot of folks who have said, uh, you know, the world's coming to an end, and the only thing I can do is is, uh, you know, store up cans of diesel and firearms and stuff like that. And they became involved with Appleseed. And now that they see that, that there's hope, there's, a, there's possibly a way to avert this disaster. And so we've pulled them out of their bunkers, out of their, their doom and gloom, and brought them into in become a functioning part of a machine that can hopefully avert this disaster. So and I, I think that's I one of the things that we're really good at. I also don't want to give the impression that I think people shouldn't be prepared. Um, it's a wonderful thing. Everyone should have uh, 
even our government tells us we should have a couple weeks' worth of food and water and batteries and heat and those kinds of things because stuff happens. Um, right. So, right. And when they start telling you, when they start telling you it more over and over and uh, louder and louder, and when the government does, it certainly uh, it certainly makes you think that they may know something that we don't know. So I think that is more even even more of a reason to prepare. Yeah. And there are things that we need to prepare for. We have no control over. We can't we can't make a difference. At least I don't think we can on whether we get hit by an earthquake or a tornado or something like that. But or we can change the the level of the ocean, but there are of the things that we can make a difference in, and one of those is our government. We have a government that should be representing us, and we should be able to make a difference in that government. So the places where we can make a difference, I think we should be trying to make that difference. But we should also be preparing for things where we don't have any control over those that will just uh, just happen, and and that's just the way things are. Well, absolutely, and uh, certainly if you listen to the radio show, then you heard me say over and over again that I think that that every American should be prepared, but I think it's especially incumbent on on Appleseed folks to to make sure that that you are not you are not just prepared enough that you can that you can scrape through it. You should be prepared enough, and I'm not. And, and like I said, I'm not talking about prepared against uh, anti-government stuff or anything like that. I'm talking about prepared for the the naturally occurring disasters that occur with uh, with rather, you know, with, with a regular frequency, uh, tornadoes and floods and ice storms and hurricanes and everything else that that that's guaranteed to happen to somebody this year. That you should be prepared enough not just to weather it yourself, but to be able to provide uh, to provide help and leadership to your community. You should be prepared enough that you and your family are taken care of, and then you can offer help and support and leadership to the rest of your community. That's the level that you should be prepared to. And certainly, uh, I hope that I never ever. See a picture of a of an apple seed person on top of their house with a sign around their neck that says "Save me." Okay, uh, you guys should be you should be taking enough steps to be prepared to take care of yourself and your family, and then able to provide some aid and comfort to your community uh, to help get through it, and to provide leadership in such a way that you can help guide your community. Through any type of a uh, of a natural disaster or a cessation of services or something like that, and it doesn't take a whole lot. And you don't have and to. Scout, yes, uh huh. If if they want an o- another opportunity to learn about how to be prepared, so here's my sales pitch. Kim and I are going down to Mesa, Arizona, and it's October 26th, 27th. So not this weekend, but next weekend is Friday. And we're going to a Self-Reliance Expo. And so it's the last one of the year for the Self-Reliance Expo, folks. Uh, but it's a, a Friday and Saturday. So I just wanted to plug that. We could use people who support feet. It would be great if folks are in the Mesa area. If they came and supported the, these people who are doing wonderful things for Appleseed, giving us uh, lots of free publicity, just going out of their way to make 
Appleseed uh, be successful. Uh, but also, if we have some instructors we could in the Mesa area, we sure could use some help because at every expo, there have been people who we've not been able to talk to because we didn't have enough instructors to, to, uh, to get to them. And so we can, if we had 20 instructors, that wouldn't be too many. Um, and right now, we only have just a handful. So if there's anybody listening in the Mesa area, uh, please come out and support the expo and also come help at Appleseed. Yeah, I think that's great because uh, because you're you're fulfilling uh, a couple of different uh, a couple of different uh, tasks at once. You're you're going to help the Appleseed project, and you're going to help them with uh, <clears throat> with getting the word out to folks. And at the same time, you're going to be able to. Uh, you're going to be able to go around there, and you're going to be able to find out information that you need. They're going to have products and services available to you there. And it's a good way to start getting your head in the game. They'll have everything there from seed packets to uh, uh, long-term storable food. They'll have plenty of firearms and, uh, and knives, and you name it, it will be there. Uh, and it's a good way for you to, uh, to get an introduction into uh, self-reliance and prepping, and uh, and I think it's a great way for folks to to get their head in the game there. And also, this is kind of an inside joke for Appleseed instructors, so I hope the other people don't don't wonder what I'm talking about, but they will. Is this will add to your star count? It's it's one of the sanctioned uh, <laughs> star events, so <laughs> so that's an incentive too, I'm sure. There you go. Yeah, you you throw your hat in the ring on this one, and you do your duty uh, to your community, your country, and the apple seed, and you'll you'll get another star there. Well, listen, uh, we've got some more information that we that we would like to put out about uh, Colorado and some upcoming events, but I need to wait until I uh, until I get until I talk to someone tomorrow about it, but. I guess it would be some exciting news for you folks uh, and for Colorado. Colorado is going to have a, a a nice little thing coming up in the next month or so, and we'll tell you about it uh, probably this next Thursday. But uh, uh, did you guys have anything else you need to get up? Because I just called in to listen to the radio show because we're driving to a library seat, and I – who didn't have internet access, and then all of a sudden you put me on. So yeah, you should you know can, better you than can mute me again. <laughs> I guess. All right. Well, thank you, Jim. Thank you, Peter. Both you guys for calling in, and uh, we really appreciate it. And I told Peter, and you can too, Jim. I told Peter to call in uh, next week to remind folks about uh, Missouri, and then if you will call in next week too, uh, Jim, to call to remind folks about Mesa, about the Self Reliance okay. Expo. We appreciate that too. All right. All right. Hey, okay, thanks, thank you, sir. Peter, thank, thank you. you. I'll talk to you guys next week. You bet. All right. And uh, and if you are in the Mesa area, uh, remember that uh, this is a good chance to get your head in the game to find out what uh, find out about self-reliance, find out about prepping, and to help out the Appleseed Project uh, because self-reliance folks and Appleseed uh, were meant for each other. And, and now... Uh, I believe I have Smokey Briggs on the line. Smokey, you there? I am here. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing good. Listen, welcome to the show, Smokey. Thank uh, you. 
for you guys that don't know, uh, Smokey, in, a, in addition to being the founder of the Pecos Running Gun, and you didn't listen to the show last week because you were you were busy doing other things, but I was talking about uh, the Pecos Running and Gun, about you and and uh, and the event. But a lot of people probably don't know that, in addition to being the, the founder of the Pecos Running Gun, that and husband to your your lovely wife Laura and father to your your four children. That uh, you're also the editor of the Monahans Press and the Pecos Enterprise, and you're a, a member of the uh, Briggs News Alliance Group. Uh, you've got a degree in journalism and a doctor in law, so you haven't wasted a whole lot of time in your life so far, Smokey, right? No, I've, I've managed to keep busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, we're gonna but, we're gonna come back to the I, newspaper portion in just a minute, but let me ask you a couple of questions. Sure. Uh, well, let me say, first of all, I want to say thank you, Smokey, because you're one of the first folks in Texas that uh, came on board and uh, and supporting the Appleseed Project. And that's the way that you and I met was uh, whenever I first started talking to folks in Texas about Appleseed, and you offered your help, you offered your anything you could do, you offered to do shoots out there and, and mentioning us in your, your newspaper. But what, what was it when you looked at, when you heard about Appleseed and you looked at it, what was it that caused you to, to think that there was something that you should get involved in? Well, Michael, um, uh, at, I guess at, at first, uh, any program that's encouraging folks to shoot, I think, is a good thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm favorably inclined to most any program like uh, like Appleseed. But then the, the more I looked at Appleseed, the more I thought that here was something special. Here's something different. Uh, especially after I attended uh, an Appleseed and after I talked to you the first time, that Appleseed was, uh, like like they said, a uh, a history course with a, a really good shooting curriculum, right. uh, which uh, I'm a firm believer that uh, first first you, uh, the most important thing to human beings on this earth are ideas, uh, and that... Uh, the idea of freedom, the idea of self uh, of self reliance, the, the American ideal uh, is the the important thing. Uh, and then on the same time, I think anything that encourages uh, folks to uh, to learn how to use uh, weapons and to be self reliant, it's a, it's a good program. Right, right, and. Uh... And like I said, you jumped on the wagon right there, right there at the very beginning. And uh, I know that you used your uh, your your papers to help put the word out. You uh, you offered up your uh, your shooting facilities and stuff. Now, and we talked about that several years ago, and and it was very generous of you. But at the same time, uh, and we're going to talk about this in a minute too, is that uh, is that it was a long way out in the middle of nowhere to. Uh, to get to your to your shooting facilities <laughs> and uh, we're on the edge of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, and we we kind of ended up uh, pushing everybody uh, like into the midland uh, yes. shoots and trying to get them to go there. And I was telling folks at the beginning of the show that uh, that the folks out in West Texas, out that way, they think a little bit differently about distances than probably folks in probably in any other part of the nation because. Uh, when we're in Pecos and we ask you guys where can we get a good steak, and you go oh, just right down the road, and 
like 120 miles one way uh, to get a good steak. And for you guys, that's nothing. That's a jaunt. And, uh, and this so is, all you this guys is are different out kind here. of forming up around Midland. Well, Appleseed, that's the way that, uh, that you and I first got thrown together. But even back then, you told me about a shooting event that uh, you were running. But I, at the time, I didn't think much about it because I didn't know anything about it. And uh, and you had mentioned the uh, Pecos Running Gun in the Sun. And uh, this is the event that's held uh, every year outside of, uh, right outside of Pecos. Well, I'd say it's right outside. It's way outside of Pecos. Uh, <laughs> yeah. In a, the little town, well, it's not even in a town. If you look at the map, uh, if you look at your like your your Google map or anything like that, you'll see the town of Toya, and then there'll be a, a dirt road out of there, and that dirt road will go on forever, and then finally that road just it just ends out in the desert, and there's no other roads anywhere, and that's uh, that's kind of close to where it's where it's being held. So, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the about the event about the Pecos? Uh, running gun in the sun, like how you came up with the event, maybe some of the history of the event, and and why you do it, and how long you've been doing it, and stuff like that. Tell us a little bit about it. Sure. Um, and first, let me say I am I am one of the founders of the of the Pecos Running Gun. There were really four of us that uh, that put it together uh, for starters. And as a matter of fact, it it kind of started out of uh, well, sour grapes in a good way. There were four of us in the cab of a Ford pickup coming home from a service rifle match in New Mexico, and we had had our hats handed to us in, in the match uh, because while we all were our shooters, we that's not the only thing we do. And of course, you get to a certain level, and the guys that when who specialize when that's all they do, they're going to be very good, better than you. <laughs> So anyway, somebody made the comment. We were making the usual excuses that shooters make uh, coming back of why we hadn't shot as well as we think we should have. And somebody piped up with uh, the observation that uh, most of the guys that won were kind of pale and sickly looking and chubby and said, uh, I bet if you ran them a mile or so before we shot uh, offhand, it would change some things. Now, are those the guys that... uh they have the customized like uh, carts and stuff to carry all their stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The customized <laughs> carts and the, and the space gun looking uh, rigs and and everything else. And give it the devil their due. Their that's their thing. That's what they they enjoy. Right. Uh, and the four of us in that truck, we have other things that we enjoy. We we also happen to to shoot. So uh, matter of fact, Larry Longoria, who you've met. Uh, he was in the in the truck with us that day, and a couple other guys who aren't uh, as heavily involved with the run these days, but who certainly helped get it started. But anyway, uh, we drove down the road a little further, and I said, you know, that that really would might be a fun event. And uh, I said, we we should try to put that together. We should uh, we should try something that combines athleticism uh, with shooting. And. Uh, well, it might be hard to do. I said, well, they do it in the Olympics. It's called a biathlon. Right. And uh, I said, okay. So anyway, that, that's kind of how the ball started rolling. And then uh, really for, for several of us uh, who were beginning, I think I was 30, I was 34, 35 at the time. 
I was excited about the, about having an event to train for. Right. Uh, something to motivate me to to get out of the rack at zero six thirty in the morning or or whenever and uh, actually do the physical training I need to do to keep from becoming a, a couch potato. And it's a lot easier, at least for me, with if I know I have an event coming up that I've got to train or, or otherwise I'm really, really not going to look good, you know? Right. Yeah, Mark and I have already started. <laughs> so We're, uh, we're determined to determine a, be- a better run this year than, than we just did. And it's, I tell you what, the run has been really good for that. Uh, there have been years when I've been very pleased with myself, and there's been years when at the end of it I thought, mm, you've been slacking off. You you got to step it up a notch, old man. But so anyway, that's. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Please take take up right there where you left off. Okay. Well, we uh, so we started trying to come up with a, a format, and believe it or not, it's harder to. Uh, it was a lot harder to come up with a scoring format than anything else. Uh, actually, out here we we managed to find a place. One of the guys in the truck had. Uh, access to some land that was actually even further out than the place you've seen where we've done it the last three years. It was another hour north and, and west to get to the range back then from Toya. But uh, So we went out, and, and it takes a little while to come up with a six- or seven-mile circuit where you can shoot in different directions and keep everybody safe and have good backstops. But uh, we got that together, and then scoring was really the the, the head-scratcher because we we decided we wanted this to be as close to 50% based on run and 50% based on your shooting. Uh and boy over the years we have uh we have tried and uh, numerous different uh scenario uh, ideas. From uh when we first started out I think we had three shooting stations. One was on paper, one was silhouettes. No, two were on paper because that's what we had access to. That's what the club owned were some, you know, stuff like that. We had enough silhouettes for one little silhouette range. And then we just made up some modifiers. Uh, if you knock down all the silhouettes, um, or if you hit, you had to, oh, we did round counts. That's right. You had ten rounds, and if you hit nine silhouettes, then you got minus ten minutes off of your run. And, if you know, things like that. Or if you didn't hit any, you we added time to your run. And it worked. Right. And then over the years, we have refined it more and more and more. And uh, we finally settled on the, as far as keeping things moving was another hard thing, where runners didn't stack up at ranges. Since you, uh, I guess I ought to say what the format is. Uh, yeah, give, it, give the folks a little bit of a description of what they would be looking at if they were to show up there uh, ready for the run uh, on a Saturday morning. Uh, the, on the running, uh, to, when you show up, you've got uh, the course will be somewhere between about six and seven miles. Uh, there will be firing ranger, ranges interspersed along the way. Uh, you carry your rifle, your ammunition, your water, and anything else you you think you might need. Uh, and then you run, and when you get to a range, you you complete the course of fire, and your score is recorded, and off you go, and you run to the next range. Sounds really simple, and I guess it is pretty simple. Halfway through, yeah, it is pretty simple. And and one of the things that I really liked about the event, as opposed to some of the other events that you might attend, and that is the way that you guys handle it, Smokey, and the way that uh, it. it and, and let me say first of all, this is this is a very professionally run event. There is no uh, uh, there is no slacking. 
as far as safety or anything else in here. However, uh, one of the first things that Smokey will tell you on in the descriptions or anything else is that uh, if you're one of the folks that, that absolutely must know if that target is at 173 yards, 0.2 feet, or if you don't, if you have to know exactly the way, the exact uh, distance you're going to run, or if, if any of those things tweak you, then the running gun is probably not the event for you because it has a, a little bit more laid-back uh, atmosphere. Yes, it, it does. Uh, the, the Pecos Rifle Club is a small club uh, these days. I've got nine paid members this year. Uh, two or three of us actually put on the run. And from the very beginning, we have uh, decided, we, we said, you know, we're, we're doing this as a fun event. We're going to raise some money for the club, hopefully, uh, we're going to have a good time, but we are not going to uh, turn it into a high-pressure uh, kind of an kind of an event, you know, where everybody's losing sleep and uh, you've you've been well a lot a lot of shooting matches and, and shooters are competitive yeah. people and I'm a competitive person. Uh, this is, but at the same time, there's so much you can do with with X amount of people and X amount of time, and I just wasn't. I'm not interested in being in charge of or, or uh, an event where. Uh, people are challenging uh, their score, or yeah, basically, if they if a small if a snafu is going to make and are going to mess up your whole day, we if this isn't for you, uh, we're we're a little more relaxed than that. Uh, but and so far, it's worked out very well. That I, that warning, either, either the people for whatever reason, the people that show up are are the right folks. Well, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you right there for a second because you just hit something that I think is really, uh, that I think is real important. And, and if it just kept on growing, who knows, maybe it would, maybe it would change. But uh, I'll tell you right now, when we, we had like a letter going around uh, between the folks who'd just been uh, talking about this, the fact that the folks that show up at the, uh, at the running gun event out there in West Texas, that they're the absolute best folks in the world. And, uh, and my theory on that, Smokey, is that that uh, that it's kind of like a, a a filtering element, you know, to get uh, to get folks to go out to West Texas, and then to go even further, uh, to go an hour further off uh, on four wheel drive roads, and to be running out in the desert. That all of these things are like like one filter after the another, so that finally, when you get to the end. The chafe is gone, and then uh, all those kernels that are left down in there are the really good kernels. I, th- good I think folks. you're right. I, th- I think that has a lot to do with it. I mean, shooters, in my experience, are, are good folks anyway. By the vast majority of them are. Um, and yeah, by the time uh, you have made the commitment to do everything that you do to just get to the run and gun, you certainly have the commitment. And uh, but there's something about it. It really the the thing that amazes me is that uh, all of the attitudes are good. In eleven, we've done it eleven times now, and in that time, I've had one competitor who I would say didn't have a good attitude. Uh, and I I don't know, but it, it's it's almost like it's a team effort from the beginning. I mean, we compete against each other, but every year. By the time it's over, it's really a a team thing, and part of that may be that a lot of our a lot of the competitors are our range officers, uh, and then a lot of our competitors are folks coming back uh, to do it again. 
but there it, it does tend it's an event that seems to build a lot of camaraderie uh and i think every, and everybody has a pretty good time too right and that's the other thing i was going to say is that not only does i think that there's some filtering stuff to it but i, I think my, my personal opinion is that is that this is one of those types of events that, that uh, I don't know how to explain it or how to make it sound right. But if you go to this event and you participate in it, it's going to make you a better person. Not It's not just going to to showcase uh, if you are a good person. This is one of those things that's going to actually it's going to help you become a better person. That's just my personal opinion of it. I think so. I think there's a... You know the old saying is iron sharpens iron. Uh, right. I think there's some of, there's some of that to it, um, and I think the format has a lot to do with it too. Uh, you know when we first started doing this, these days in the last three or four years we we run we've divided it into two days and we do the we have a run for the range officers the range officer crew on Friday now, where we ran uh, this year what twenty three twenty four guys through, right and then. Uh, and but so on that day, we send half the range officers out to man the ranges, and the other half run. And as people come in, we send them out to replace uh, the range officers who haven't run, and then and then they run. So it's very much a team on on that day. It's it's very team oriented. And you know, in the first I think six years or seven years we did this, that's how we did the whole thing. Uh, we didn't have, we did it all in one day. And so if you were going to compete, one of the requirements was that uh, you had to run a range as well, or you had to help run a range, because I didn't have well, enough I, club members to, to you know, to run the ranges. To man the whole, yeah, man the whole event. Well, I think and, that that works out really good the way that you're doing it now, because you have, uh, you have a group of folks that are going to be there in order to help it get set up, although it's just about, uh, everything is just about done by the time, even when the ROs get there on uh, uh on Friday morning, everything is pretty much done. We yeah. get a chance uh, to run the uh, range officers through it, and if there is some kind of a glitch or, or something like that, you can get it. You can get um, a lot of the bumps worked out then beforehand, and then you'll have a like a quarter of the folks will already have run through. So it takes a little bit of the pressure off on the uh, uh, on these on figuring out the scores for the next day. And oh, it uh, takes a, a tremendous amount of the pressure off. Uh, yeah. Right, and then you have the the folks that they they are running the range. Uh, they've got a chance to to learn their jobs. Although most of the range officers this year were returned from last year, uh, they've got a chance to learn their jobs so that when the event uh, when the rest of the folks come on Saturday and they're run through, it's uh, quite a bit smoother because the range officers everybody knows their job. They've already run through it. They've already uh, been warmed up, and they're good to go. And uh, I was really amazed at how quickly that uh, that you ran everybody through on Saturday. I mean, it was uh, it was a very fast race on Saturday. This year was very smooth, it was as smooth as it's ever been, uh, and I think probably as smooth as it possibly could be. Uh, yeah, but and you know, it's the uh, the quality of the competitors has a lot to do with it. And not just their athletic ability or shooting ability, but their uh, their attitude and and their uh, all the but well, just their attitude. But I tell you what, the people that make this event really go well 
is that range officer crew. Those guys uh, have the ability to make it a great event or a terrible event. And right. uh, we don't we don't invite folks to be a range officer unless they you know the first time they come through they've got to run it. And if they uh, if they really enjoyed it and seem like the, they have the right temperament and uh, and everything, and if we need somebody, we'll say well we'll invite them. Say hey, would you like to would you like to you know be a range officer and come do this on Friday? And the only real uh, I think that the only real benefit you get to the whole thing is if for being a range officer is uh, the Friday night the club buys the steaks, and it's a pretty nice campout. <laughs> yeah, well that that's that. Yeah, that's the only. That may be the only, uh, uh, the only tangible thing. But there, are, there are a ton of, uh, you know, of intangibles, and that is uh, uh, being able to spend more time with the folks that are there, and to be, uh, you know, to, to spend more time speaking with you and your crew, with Doug, with Larry, uh, Brendan, with all of the folks there, and then. Uh, because it's uh I don't know, it's it's just, it's about as close to a family uh as you can get without sharing any blood or anything. Uh, I know in the letter that went around uh, recently the the range officers and stuff that were there, uh almost every one of the guys uh uh you know logged on with the uh with the declaration of if anybody's ever in my town and they need they need anything, you know, I will supply it and uh, and it's it's like a family, and uh, and the range officers are really important because this isn't uh, this isn't an event where you have line of sight to uh, each of the stages and the things can get done rapidly. Uh, you know, some of the some of the events are a couple of miles away from from anything, so the range officers have to be sharp and they have to know they're, what they're doing. They have to be willing to do it. No. No moaning or or no, I don't know how or I can't. They things have to get done, and the folks yes. have to do them without a bunch of babysitting. And the crew that you have there right now is a, is a really good crew, and uh, everybody's pretty sharp. They know their jobs, and and they're more than willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that this thing is a success. Yes, and they do. I mean, they really are. They're the heart of this thing. But you know what's what's been amazed me from the beginning. Uh, is just the quality of people and the type of people that have shown up for this thing since day one. Since we uh, the first, I think we had, I know we had 13 competitors uh, the first time we did it. Uh, that time we were in the very first uh, running gun, 13 folks? 13 folks. Wow. Uh, yeah, we've, we've, we've grown quite a bit since then, and uh, much to the uh, amazement of my wife, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what, what was the number this year? We ran uh, 73 folks. Okay. Is that including range officers? Yes. Okay. And uh, a few, I think we had six no-shows this year. The people, people, you know, like anything else, they run into scheduling conflicts and and whatnot. So you always have a few folks that don't make it who think they're coming. Right. And we get, like you said, we had a really good group of folks. We had, uh, uh, we've got uh, military, law enforcement. We had the... Aggie one, two, and three. The three boys from uh, A and M. Right. And uh, and we had tons of other folks. And we had, uh, I believe, Appleseed had about a dozen instructors there that were uh, that were helping with the event. And 
and then uh, folks from all over. I don't know how far the, the farthest person traveled, but I know that there were plenty of folks from uh, New Mexico and Oklahoma and uh, even from Arkansas and stuff. We had uh, This year we had Arizona, Arkansas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Texas. I think those were our furthest contestants. We've had folks from as far away as Montana, South Carolina, uh, I don't. I don't think there's another event like this really uh, being put on right now. I've never seen. I don't, it think, there's, I don't think there's another event like this anywhere. Uh, maybe there is. Maybn they got some uh, Spetsnaz guys running it in uh, Russia or something. But uh, <laughs> I don't think there's anywhere in the United States. Well, can you give us a quick rundown on uh, <clears throat> if you were going to show up uh, on Saturday morning and start running? What would you be looking at as far as uh, like the shooting stages and, and stuff like that? Well, we do uh, all of all of our shooting is done on uh, on steel gongs for the most part. Well, all of it is, uh, and all of our sh- all of the shooting stages, uh, the time it takes you to complete the course of fire is your score, and we arrived at that because that's the fastest way we can we can score things and keep things moving along. Most right, of the time, it had to be a it had to be a pass or fail because. We're shooting at uh, you're shooting at great distances. Uh, I say great, not that far out to 400 meters. So trying to go out and score uh, individual holes in the paper and stuff like that. That's not going to work when you're trying to push uh, 60, 70, 80 folks through there. Oh, although we did that <laughs> in the beginning, <laughs> we, we were shooting on 200 yard SR2s and, and you name it. We had all kinds of different things, and we ran the wheels off a couple of jeeps and a lot of and ran the legs off a couple of range officers early on as we refined this thing and tried to figure out what we could do and with the resources we had. But anyway, uh, let's see, this year, Station 1, we had the, uh, oh, what is it, the Viking Tactical Barricade, I think is the name of it, where it's the uh, right. a sheet of plywood with various holes and slots cut in it. There's a, Most of our gongs are 12 inches wide by 18 inches tall, and it was out at 100 yards. And you had to uh, place one one hit on the gong through the top six holes in the barricade uh, with one with a magazine change somewhere in your in your uh, course of fire. Right. Station, let's see, station two, we had a uh, barricade and two gongs set out at I think the gongs were about 150 yards. And you had to hit each gong from the right side of the barricade using the barricade as cover, shooting right-handed. And the left, then you had to hit, score a hit on each gong from the left side of the barricade using the barricade as cover, shooting left-handed. And then you had to advance the cover a little ways away and score two more, one hit on each gong again just to complete the course of fire. Yeah, let me tell folks that if you if you are neglecting your offhand shooting skills, this is it's not a good place to uh, to find it out. It's on station two. Right. Uh, you know, that's one of the things uh, One of the things we don't do. Uh, we don't have a lot of rules as far as uh, you have to position or uh, or anything. We let terrain pretty much dictate everything except with the barricades. Uh, right. And then, uh, But most of your shooting at the running gun is going to be from some sort of modified position. Uh, rarely are you going to be able to get comfortable in a nice solid prone position and uh, – and, and take your time. It's you, you've got to figure out what the terrain will let you do, and, and then do it. But right, and like you said, it's, it's 
when you go to a station, they'll tell you that you can use any position, but it is it is dependent upon the terrain because, um, you know, if you're trying to get to a prone and you can't see it, when you get into a seated position, you can kind of see it, but uh, there's some bushes in the way. I'll tell you right now that if you're using a, uh, a uh, smaller caliber center fire, then uh, don't try and shoot through the bushes because uh, it'll just go where it decides to go. So you'll have to modify your position dependent upon the terrain and the placement of the target. Yes. Um, and, yeah, you, you do learn different things about calibers and, and bushes and greasewood trees and mesquite or greasewood bushes and mesquite trees. Uh, and they do. They will affect you. But uh, let's see. Station 3 is uh, there are, it's, what were there, six? That's six uh, pepper poppers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one gong at 200 yards, and the, the shooter put their, well, grounded their rifle on a mat, advanced the firing line, uh, engaged the pepper poppers with his uh, sidearm, and then uh, after holstering his sidearm, advanced to the mat, uh, charged his rifle, and had to score one hit on the 200-yard gong to stop time. Right. And I believe I think I ended up in a sitting position there. No, nope, prone wouldn't get it done. Uh, and then you, then there was a what about two miles to station four? That's a long run. Oh yeah, it is. It's a year. long way. They said it's right over the hill. And, yeah, uh, it, it was over a hill, but it was a lot more than just right over the hill. It was about like you said, it's about two miles. It's a good long run. We really we'd like to have something. We try to space the the ranges as close to, you know, say about a mile apart or equidistant apart, but terrain dictates and you need a backstop and you need, you know, so we use the terrain that we've got to work with and this one works out, This, you know, at about two miles. But uh, anyway, on Station 4, uh, you uh, there were two gongs at about 150 to 200 yards off and uh, four shooting positions as you worked your way down the hill. And at each position, you had to put two, a hit on each each gong for a total of eight hits to complete the course of fire. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was a that was a, I was working that station, and uh, that that snagged a lot of folks. It's a uh, it was a fairly tough uh, station, and uh, it was one where, like you said, the 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 position that you shoot in is determined by the terrain. You got a lot of bushes. Uh, you've got a good downhill uh, angle, and uh, and uh, I, I'll tell you, I I actually timed that on that one because of my uh, my. So I spoke to you earlier about my inability to see my front sight. But as soon as I got through, I grabbed another rifle with optics and I went back and I redid it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think uh, along with helping me try to fight the battle of the bulge personally. Uh, one of the best things about the running gun or what I've heard from shooters over the years is that they learn so much about themselves and their rifle and their gear that they just didn't realize going out to the to the local shooting range or, or wherever they had to shoot uh, in terms of how well it held up in rough conditions or, uh, you know, you see a lot of guys uh, having trouble with, with rifles when they get a little bit of that that fine caliche uh, dust in the yeah. action. Uh, and, you know, from everything from shoes to rifles to optics, uh, one year it rained to, to beat all blazes, and uh, every and was, every optic failed except two. There was an ACOG that didn't fail, 
and there was a, a $25 Norinco Chinese piece of junk that I, that didn't fail. And everybody right. else was having trouble with, you know, fogging and, and whatnot. So Absolutely. What, you, you learn a, a lot about your place, gear. Yeah, it's a place that uh, you're going to learn about every piece of gear that goes with you. And you're going to learn about uh, why you should take some stuff and why you don't need some stuff. And uh, yeah. and, and how much and it, it all it, weighs. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this year I tried to. Last year uh, I didn't know what I was going to need or want, and I had a big rucksack that I wore, and uh, uh, who knows what it had in there. It, it had everything in there, you know, lounge chairs, uh, you know, pool floaties. This year, uh, I didn't take anything except what I could wear in my belt, and then, then I found out something else, which is don't wear a bunch of, a bunch of stuff on your belt if uh, if you can't keep your pants up. So uh, I'm going to take I'll... a... Uh, that's, that's I'm going to take good a opportunity. note from you and wear the suspenders next time. Yeah. Uh, one of our sponsors, one of our two sponsors uh, this year, one is Best Made Designs, better known on the, by their brand Spec Ops. Right. Uh, but the suspenders I was wearing is their uh, are their suspenders. Uh, and, boy, I found those are those are great for those of us who, who aren't don't have a whole lot in the back end anyway, and you put some rocks in your pockets and our, and our pants tend to try to fall down. Uh, so whatever, I'm definitely going to grab some of those. I've found them to be fantastic. Larry turned, uh, sh- showed them to me about four or five years ago, and I've been using them ever ever since. Uh, but anyway, it's, uh, that's the Spec Ops brand. Right. So they've you, been, you, they've been sponsored it's a great now place for, to learn about shoes and and everything everything that uh, and. And it's six miles. Most people say, well, you know, six miles, that's not very far. That's not very far if you're talking about, uh, you know, uh, walking to the West Coast or something. But uh, walking six miles with all your gear, uh, this is a great place for you to to figure out what works and what doesn't. Because very seldom do you ever put on your gear and take a walk in it. Most people put all their gear together and they go, okay, man, I'm set. This is, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm set. This is the way I need to to run my gear just like this. But then they never run it, so they never see what works or what doesn't. You put all your gear on, you do the uh, the running gun, and I guarantee you, you will have some notes to yourself afterwards. Yes, you will. As a matter of fact, okay, every so year I've got notes to myself after 11. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're, we're at Station 4 and uh, just finishing up there, and we're going to go very quickly over the hill to the next station. Right. Two miles away. From fairly rough terrain. That's where it gets pretty rough from, from four to five there going through those hills and it's pretty rocky. But uh yeah, station five we had that was matter of fact it was Nick uh Bastianin, one of the Appleseed guys who uh suggested this as a as a stage for us and it worked out great. It's a modification of the Appleseed Redcoat target. Right. And uh, Nick supplied some uh, steel silhouettes, uh, Army D target silhouettes, and that represented the five, the, the black ring of, the, of that silhouette target. And we set them out at 100, 200, 300, and 400 yards. And we ended up, we worked, we started out with the idea we we're going to require three hits on each target, working your way out. And we finally decided, after some discussion, that that might be a little too much. And we ended up, for the first time through this year, we decided we'd go with two hits on each target. And we substituted a 24-inch tall by 18-inch wide steel gong for the 400-yard target. 
because with with iron sights, that little the the silhouette, the, the D target was getting a little bit small. And right. Our goal, our goal really isn't to. Um, Not to. I mean, we want to challenge people, but we don't want to make things uh, ridiculous. Well, I thought it was great because last year, season five, and I worked at five last year, was uh, right. the two targets at 400, which was good. But I think that this was, I think this actually rounded it out and uh, and made it a a more full course. I just thought it, I thought it worked a lot better. No, I thought it was a great stage. It was fun to shoot. I think it was pretty easy to score, which is important. Uh, and, boy, you do find out uh, – uh, that your marksmanship skills after uh, five miles through the desert uh, in 90 or 100 or 110 degree heat uh, aren't what they are on the, you know, laying down on the mat in the shade. Absolutely. Whenever you're, when you get there, you've you've covered a good day ground by the time you get there. And like you said, the the trail from stage four to stage five, it's not, uh, there is no trail. No, I mean, there are guidelines on where you walk, but there's no trail. Matter of fact, you can see, you can look and, and you can see from the footprints uh, how different people have interpreted the trail. Yes. Yeah, and I, there's there's two there's two main groups of folks. There's the folks that walk around everything, and there are folks that charge through everything. Uh, and you charge through enough things out there, and you'll start walking around them. There, there's some yeah. sharp. There's a lot of sharp, pokey stuff. Yeah, I've got a photograph of, uh, of one of the, uh, I don't know if it's called Choya, but, uh, you know, the uh, the cactus that's uh, like in the big round balls with the long hook-ended needles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had one of those stuck straight through the end of my shoe into my big toe, and I had to use my Leatherman to pull it out. I tried to use my hand, but uh, then I got a bunch of them stuck in my hand, so I had to get my Leatherman out and pull it out of my toes. You know, you, you talk about taking uh, the, the things that I do carry. I carry four things probably and nothing else in my pack. I carry my Leatherman on my belt. I carry a, a broken uh, case extra- extractor and a, a, a segmented cleaning rod for, for that right. kind of stuff. Uh, and tape. A little bit, of, tape. A little bit of, of duct tape because... It'll get you through in a pinch for just about all for all kinds of things. Well, the, but the, the leatherman, the leatherman for extracting cactus thorns, because you're going to get some. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and it is a good walk there, and you will be. I guarantee. I don't care who you are, uh, even if you're Doug, you're going to be fatigued when you get there, and it and that is a uh, that's a determination uh, in your rifle skills. You know, whenever you uh, when your body is searching for oxygen, it starts uh, pulling it out of anywhere it can get it, and water. Uh, and if it pulls oxygen and water from your eye, then that's going to affect your shot. And this tells you how much, uh, when you get to see five, it'll tell you how much effect there's going to be on you. And it, I guarantee you it's going to be different than when you lay down on the mat at your range uh, or you set the bench at your range and you shot at the 400-meter targets. It's going to be a big difference. Yes, Uh and, and I think it's an amazing difference. Uh, you know, I, I I was I was mildly surprised when we first started doing it, uh, and you know, and I enlisted in the Marines when I was eighteen, and so you know, we'd done some I'd done some things where I was breathing hard when I when I squeezed the trigger here and there, but uh, right. Uh, 
you know, folks who have, you know, the pure shooters, and we've had folks who come out who are, uh, you know, really, really good service rifle high-power shooters or, you know, one discipline or another who have been, frankly, amazed at just what happened to their marksmanship abilities after three or four miles of uh, of heat and, and, and exercise. It really does. It It's a whole different world. And... Uh... And I learned last year because I made it. I, ran, I came through at the end of the day. I learned that you don't. Uh, you got to make sure that uh, your front sights are good in carbon, and there's no oil. That you didn't just take a rag and uh, and wipe the dust off of your rifle uh, with a, a rag that had a little bit of uh, lubricant on it right before you get down into the prone and face directly into the west to shoot a 400 meter target. <laughs> yeah, it starts getting tough around two, three o'clock. It does, especially right. this time of this time of year. You know, we moved the last two years. We've done this in October, and in years past, the earliest date was mid-September, or the date was mid-September from August to September. And of course, the sun starts. Uh, Station five was laid out a long time ago, and we're still using it. But when we first laid it out. The sun, uh, it was earlier in the year, and the, the sun wasn't anywhere near where it is now at 3 o'clock. So it starts, right. uh, we may have to change the direction. If we keep it this late in the year, we may actually, you know, move that station and, and move it around a little bit. Because by 3, yeah, you're beginning to beginning to get the sun in your eyes. And it's right off that front side for sure. And listen, I'm going to tell the folks about, uh, about how cruel you guys were in designing this. Because you get to Station 5, and it says Station 5, right? Right. So if it's six miles and there are six stations, then at five you would logically be near the end, maybe a mile or less to go. Sure. I mean that's the way it would logically be, right? If but if anybody other than five, an absolute sadist was laying it out in the course, that's true. Let's do it. You get to station five and uh, they tell you, okay, all right, one last station up and over the hill. They got this hill. You get at five. You just uh, just pounded out a good heart. Uh, you don't know how long it is, but it's you know it's been several miles now. You you take off up this hill. You got to go to the top of this hill at five, and you're thinking, I get over the top. I get to the top of this hill. I'm going to see the uh, the finish line is going to be. I'll be able to hit it with a rock from station five. And you get to the top of the hill, and lo and behold. Uh, way, way off in the distance, distance uh, through those shimmering uh, uh, heat waves, you see the end of the station. And, the, two wind, uh, the two windmills and the and the little yeah, bar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not it. That's not all they got for you, because you have to go over. You you go down that hill. You go down. You go over another lower hill. And here's the second part of the uh, of the statistic uh, design is you can see the the uh, the the finish line. You can say, well, it's okay. It's only a couple of miles away, maybe at the most. You know, two two and a half miles at the most. I can do that. You know, a straight line distance. You get to the bottom of the hill, and lo and behold, the uh, the route takes a ninety degree turn, and you can look for almost a mile down this straight line that you're going to be traveling away from the finish line. And uh, it's a hard thing to look at. Yeah, I, I hate myself at that point, Michael. 
<laughs> if it makes you the feel only thing any I better. Is that, there was a, that there was a road, and I'm just thinking, okay, I'm one foot in front of the other. Don't look around. Don't look up. Just uh, one foot in front of the other. Okay, so they left Station 5, and they're headed on. Where to now, Smokey? Uh, well, just before you get to uh, back to the start line, uh, you go down in the little valley there behind the, the two windmills, and this year that's where Station 6 was. And Station 6, we really just designed. We, we know people like trigger time. We like trigger time. and uh, But we didn't have a really good place to put in another uh, rifle station. So we uh, we started it as a pistol station and then decided it would be fun to add a, a shotgun to it. So we uh, we provide a, a Remington 870 riot gun, and let's see each runner. When you get there and they and they say there's 12 targets, 12 silhouettes, some pepper poppers, and then some smaller uh, steel discs. Uh, and when you when on the, the go command, you uh, retrieve the shotgun, load it, and use it to dispatch as many targets as you can, and then finish with your sidearm. But it's just just one more chance to get a little shooting in before the the race is over. Right. And then up to the and then that you know it's really it's a heck of a it doesn't seem like it when we're setting it up but uh, climbing out of that little valley up to the finish line is a pretty good little little climb. Right. And uh, and I want to tell folks too about the uh, the terrain. It's I got to tell you it's absolutely gorgeous. Now yeah it's desert, but. Uh, Anytime you can you can come to the top of a small rise anywhere along the route and you can look uh you can look into the distance and the air is uh crisp and clear and you can see uh over fifty miles uh in different directions from there. You can yeah. You can look and see uh the Davis Mountains, uh I believe they're southwest. Do uh, south and southwest, correct. Yeah, and then uh, then from the uh, at the briefing area before we took off, we could actually you could see I thought you said the Guadalupe Mountains, but uh, yeah, you can well, see Guadalupe Peak up there. Okay, so you can see uh, you can look uh, you can look one way and look the other way, and you're you're covering over a hundred miles yeah. uh, uh, in each direction that you're looking at and seeing and. Uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. Not only that, but you're trudging through history right there at the uh, uh, at the finish line. Uh, there is a uh, an anthropological site uh, that folks apparently were using uh, thousands of years ago, and uh, you're, go- you're you're walking through you're walking through history and uh, and. I get in trouble every year because as I'm walking along, I can't help it. I start picking up rocks and uh, and putting them in my cargo pockets. And uh, by the end, of, by the time I get to the end of the race, I've got a couple of pounds of rocks. Yeah, it's not not a good strategy, Michael. That's <laughs> yeah. not a good strategy. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I can't help it. Now, luckily this time, I was able. I did look over my right shoulder. Uh, as I left three, and I saw the camp, and I go, oh, the camp's right there. So I, I took all the rocks out of my pocket that I gathered up at that point and set them in a pile so I could come back and get them. But I grabbed some more before I got back. But, uh, and maybe some folks don't like the desert, but I love it. And uh, and it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful run. And this time, we're very lucky because uh, 
there had been a light rain the night before, so the dust was at least uh, moistened down, and uh, and like you said, running it in October made it a good bit cooler. Uh, yes, it, it's much cooler than I think. The first year we did it, it was mid August, and at noon when we were starting folks out, the the, the little thermometer we had in the shade read 111. Uh, right. And that's that's maybe a little too hot, although it did live up to the whole run and gun in the sun uh, kind of name. But, uh, yeah, pushing it back into mid-September and into October, is it makes it for a pretty pretty pleasant run most of the time. Right. And uh, and I'm telling you, I, not, uh, I, I didn't look at my scores because uh, if I were doing it for the scores, I'd have to, I'd have to quit. Uh, but uh, but a lot of the folks there just do absolutely uh, they're they're monsters on it and uh, a lot of the folks were running the six miles and uh, was there anybody that was faster than uh, than an hour? No, no. The fast okay. I think the fastest time we had was about an hour and fifteen minutes. Okay, so that's still pretty fast for, and it's over six miles. I don't know how long it is. I meant to take a pedometer this time, but but I just really wasn't that worried about it. I like the I like the the fact that I don't know exactly how long it is, and, uh, and but if it makes good, it makes you feel better, just, we don't either. <laughs> we've never we've never truly measured it. None of us own a a GPS or anything, and uh, and we don't really care. It's we know it's a about what it is and it's good enough. Right. And uh and had some some fantastic folks that came through it. And and one of the things that it did do, of course, like uh, like we were talking about earlier, is is it it it, it gave me a uh, a desire to do better. I want to do better. Uh yes. and I want to do better next year and I've already started uh I've already started my uh, my preparations. I've already started uh, uh, deciding how I'm going to modify stuff and uh, and my strategies and stuff like that. Uh, so it's 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 very fun and uh, and I really I really enjoy it. And the folks that uh, the folks with the three best times get uh, plaques uh, for those. Then, uh, Smokey, you also have uh, some other categories. What are they? Well, actually, you know, we've done different things in years past, but in the last few years we actually give a plaque out to the to the top six uh, competitors. With the, the okay, top, top six, six times. Right. Matter of fact, this year, uh, uh, Mark Alonzo, our, our good friend, placed seventh. And when I saw his oh. name come up there at seventh, I, I really, I just uh, listen, I, I already spent a whole year hearing about this. Now i got another whole year to hear about it. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> um, but we also we give out uh, the other two awards we give out. We give out an Old Salt Award, which is for our oldest competitor, because we have a, a lot of respect for, for some of these guys that get out and do it, uh, who, you know, who or at the age where a lot of men have hung it up and found a rocking chair and a, and a remote control. Uh, Bruce Davis, who runs uh, Prude Ranch, was our old salt this year. Uh, he runs Prude, a place called Prude Ranch up in Fort Davis, which is a, a guest ranch. Bruce is uh, a friend of mine and a former Marine, 
and I think uh, 66 this year, and not the oldest guy to ever complete it. Uh, we, we've had uh, one fellow, uh, John Drissel, was 72 when he did it the last time. But anyway, we give an old salt award for our oldest competitor, and then we give a, an award to our youngest competitor. Uh, the, the youngest guy or, or gal coming through who uh, completed the course and, uh, and 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 shot all the ranges, which I think is really, I mean, that's probably my favorite award, and that that's that's our future. And uh, it's good to see young young people coming out and, and testing themselves like this, and and well, and yeah. doing it. I was surprised whenever he picked up the rifle because I thought he was just a, uh, you know, companion, walking buddy. Sure. And, uh, and then when I saw him actually uh, uh, shoulder the rifle, I thought, oh wow, you know, that's uh, that's pretty good. Nine years old, and he was uh, he was carrying some gear, and uh, and the guys had a good time, and uh, and he did some good shooting uh, there on station four, so. For nine years old, I was completely impressed. Yes, and we don't, uh, you know, we uh, what we we don't have a children's event, uh, you know, like in in more. This is this uh, this kid's uh, instance. His father's been running it with us from, from the beginning, and in this instance, he said, you know, I, th- I think he's ready. And I said, you know, if you go with him, if y'all stay together, not a problem. Uh, right. We're not we're not turning kids loose. You know, nine-year-old kids loose on their own out here or anything. But uh, this is something. The nice thing about this is that it's uh, we've kept it flexible enough, and we keep it flexible enough that we can accommodate a lot of you know a lot of different folks. Well, it is a family uh, thing. I mean, you've got uh, heck, your whole family almost is running through there. And uh, well, yeah, my brother and my my sister both uh, have done it. Well, my brother is. The first five years, I think I beat him, and then I taught him to shoot, and now he's he's whooped me. He's my little brother. He's 12 years younger than me, and I think he's whooped me every year now for five years. Well, but, uh, and, and he's a character, too, because i got some photographs of him, because it's, uh, it reminds me of, like, a California surf dude that that uh, somebody tossed him a rifle and pistol and, and said, take off, and he said, oh, cool, dude, and uh, <laughs> and he took off. You know, if he didn't do it every year in flip-flops, I, would, I wouldn't worry about him so much. But uh, there's something not right about the boy. But he, he, you can't say he's not tough. No, because there he goes. He's got uh, he's got his pair of flip-flops on and uh, either a tank top or a T-shirt and some surf pants. And, uh, and that's it. And uh, he's running the course, and uh, he does a great job. Your sister came through, and... She really surprised me because uh, uh, because she had taken the time to find uh, uh, like some extra fabric and stuff for her for her jeans, and she had sewn on uh, magazine pouches to her clothes. So she was definitely in shooting fashion. You know, it's quite a uh, that's the most uh, fashionable Martha Stewart like touch I think I've seen at the Run and Gun. Uh, certainly a different uh, a different take on uh, shooter fa- shooter's fashions. Exactly, and uh, and there were several women this time. We had uh, uh, Eve from New Mexico. She's in a, an apple instructor out in New Mexico. She uh, was shooting, and then uh, let's see, there was your sister, and then uh, let's see, 
Uh, I Andrea there were two from, other women, weren't there? Uh, Andrea from Texas here, uh, down the road a ways. I think that, no, I think those were my my three female competitors this year. Okay. Uh, next year you'll probably have to put up with my my oldest daughter, who's she did it once a couple of years back. But uh, and you know it's it's it's. It's not a may. I mean, mostly we have guys doing it, but uh, the ladies that have turned out to to do it with us have all had a good time, and some of them have done very well. Right. Well, you have any idea of? Uh, got some folks asking. Any idea on the dates for the coming year? Probably later in September. Probably the, the okay. third or the third or fourth weekend is in September is what we have very tentatively penciled in, um, and not October thirteenth, which is my daughter Dixie Joe's birthday. Since we've done it, it's killed her birthday twice in two years. That won't happen. But uh, sometime in that late <laughs> September, early October range, we're working hard with a fellow who came to run with us this year, who's going to help us put up a website. The uh, logistics that have kind of evolved with this thing, as far as uh, letting people know what's going on and keeping up with them, I've always done it by email up in, uh, to this point, and it's just gotten very unwieldy. So we're going to try to put up a website where people can come learn about the event, read about it, look at past stuff, see this year's course of fire, find the date, and sign up right there on the right, do the whole nine yards right there. Well, that would be great, but it'll also be kind of sad too because uh, it's always been a mystery how to find out any information about it or anything like that. Uh, it's always been a, a mystery. You've got to kind of sift through the stuff and find people talking about it and stuff like that. Like it is kind of an underworld thing. Yeah, and uh, we'll be we've got a uh, uh, an after action uh, of the event uh, on uh, our website coming up, including. Uh, uh, film and stuff on it. That'll be on BattleRoadUSA.com, and uh, we should have the uh, the the film and stuff up. We've already got photographs and stuff up for it. Well, listen, uh, I, I want to thank you for for giving folks the opportunity to be involved in such an event, uh, for allowing me to participate in it, and uh, to putting this up for folks because. Uh, it's it's one of those events that uh, if it doesn't change your life in some fashion, then then something must be wrong with you because uh, because it's one of those kind of things. Uh, so thank you, Smokey. Well, you're very welcome. Although Michael, I it, I really have to admit that I, I do it as much for myself as for anybody. Uh, I really enjoy it. It's it's a fun event to run. I wish I tell you what I wish somebody would put one on somewhere because I would love to go to one and just compete. Well, I'll tell you this right now: Mark and I, uh, working together with uh, uh, in our company, Battle Road USA, we've got the uh, we've got a good bit of it mapped out, and now we're just trying to uh, figure out the logistics of putting up the. Uh, the bullet catching systems, the berms and stuff like that, and making it a completely safe uh, thing here in sure. Central Texas because we don't have—I uh, don't know how much land is out there, but it's—it's 
it's probably about sixty or seventy thousand acres that you can look at that's uh that while it may not be under the same ownership of the, the owner out there, there is nothing out there. There's nothing and nobody. Uh the chances of hitting something out there are really, really slim to none. And uh so it's it's very lucky uh to have a place like that. But uh, we should have one up and running within uh, within about a year, and we'll sure let you know about it. Uh, let's change tracks for just a a second, and because hey, before we do, Michael, let me the, say, uh, let me that? let me interject one thing before we change tracks. You said something about okay. uh, the running gun, and, and you're changing your life and stuff. And I just wanted to mention this. Uh, in, in my opinion, this is an event that you you do. You com- it really is one that you compete against yourself, uh, right? And more more than anything else, I've been I've run it eleven times now. Technically, I won the first one, and I think I've placed third <laughs> once. And other than that, I've you know that's that's as good as I've ever done. And usually, I'm on down in you know down down in the rankings here and there. But uh, it's really about you and competing against yourself and, and seeing what you are capable of with your rifle on a given day. And uh, I think that's what makes the event really, uh, really neat, really, really fun. But anyway, I just want to let folks know that, that it's a, I don't know, it's it's the the, the top six, it's really, and really nice to get a plaque and, you know, and say, you know, I was third place at this thing. But uh, I haven't seen anybody come away with it without gaining something from it. Anyway. Absolutely. If you just just by attending and uh and walking across the finish line if you're not running, I managed to run this time, I don't know how, but I did. Uh then and you come away with this thing with the come away from it with uh with You've accomplished something. Accomplishment. You yep. really have, and the the t to me the t shirt that a competitor gets is the real uh, the badge of honor. Absolutely. You know that 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 to me is the real prize. The the plaques are icing on the cake for for really having a good day. But everybody that completes this thing has done something of merit. Right, and. Uh... Listen, I would do it uh, now. I'm not, I don't have to worry about a plaque. I don't doubt I'll ever have to worry about that. But I would do it regardless of uh, of any uh, any type of uh, compensation as far as that, because because it's just a worthy thing to do. And, yes. Uh, and uh, and there was another T-shirt there, and uh, I bought one from your daughter. It was. Uh, the Monahan Press T-shirt, and uh, and you have uh, you're the editor of a couple of newspapers out there in West Texas, and uh, you and I were talking uh, about newspapers and uh, the written word and uh, the decline in newspapers and the way that they that some of them have changed and. Uh, and if you wouldn't mind uh, talking to the folks who are listening, uh, the, the same answer that you gave me about about uh, what newspapers are for and why they're not working, and uh, and what's going on with the with the written word as far as newspapers. Okay, 
And when I start rambling too much, you 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 have to shut me off because this is a, a topic I can run my mouth on quite for for quite some time. Yeah, that's why uh, I'm asking about it. In, in my in my humble opinion, Michael, the problem with newspapers in the last fifty years is that uh, they forgot what their job is. Uh, newspapers write for their audience if they're successful. Um, I think, and if you looked in a news, if you went and counted heads in a newspaper in a newsroom in most newspapers in 1960, you would have found a bunch of uh, high school educated, which in 19 in 1960 meant fairly well educated uh, men who were uh, very interested in writing about their community, whatever that community was, whether it was Kansas City or Monahans, Texas. Uh, and they weren't embarrassed to write about the things that their readers wanted to read about. And in the 1960s, you saw a, a, a complete change in newsrooms where uh, we started hiring uh, so uh, college graduates who were so-called journalists, not reporters, I think, or at least the way they think of themselves. And uh, I, I think most major newspapers, and it's built, you know, filtered down throughout a lot of the industry, uh, those writers started they wanted they put out newspapers that were filled with what they thought their audience ought to want to read rather than what their audience really wanted to read and in any in any form of of communication uh your your audience is what counts and your content has to be you know the content drives it if if you don't have good content that people want to read or listen to uh, or look at you're going to it's to lose your your business model's not going to work you're not going to serve any readers and your advertisers aren't going to be served by the uh, by by your product so you know and uh, if you look at the decline in newspapers and print uh, media these days what you see are in my estimation are a lot of large outfits that forgot their mission a long time ago right and uh, and now we're paying the price if you look at uh, a lot of what people you know kind of nice and smiling to call community newspapers, which I'm, we're proudly one in Monahans and one in Pecos, both towns of about eight, 9,000 people. Community newspapers are doing fine. Uh, but we work very hard to write about what the people of Monahans or the people of Pecos want to read about. Uh, it may not be uh, Pulitzer-winning, earth-shattering stuff, but uh, it's what our audience wants to, wants to read about. So. Right, and and there have been a there's been a lot of talk, uh, uh, and it's not it's not something brand new. It's been a long, it's been around since there have been uh, there's been the written word or the press. But there's been a lot of talk lately about uh, about newspapers, uh, especially the major ones, uh, no longer being objective and no longer uh, no longer trying to tell the story or the truth. But just as vehicles for uh, advertisements, and uh, and then slanting the news in whatever way that they feel it should be. Yeah, and I think that the, when you get down to it, the main, the real problem isn't even in in the fact that they're slanting uh, the news in either their choice of of subjects or the way they present it, or the the subjects they interview. But really, it's in the fact that they're lying in the first place, and that they're claiming to be. Uh, try to be fair, uh, and then not being fair. 
you know, a, right. a lot of newspapers in the, in the world are, have uh, – oh, I, first newspaper I worked at was the uh, Clinton Democrat in Clinton, Missouri. Uh, you know, that newspaper, and it had been around since before the Civil War. Uh, in 1855 in Clinton, Missouri, when you picked up the Clinton Democrat, you knew the slant, the editorial slant of the paper. Right. They they weren't hiding anything, and they didn't intend to. So you know it was it was honest, and I think as long as you're honest and then put out a, a worthwhile product, you're you're good to go. The problem came about when uh, we a lot of newspapers and, and media outlets try to claim honesty, but then slant. Uh, whatever they're reporting on, and it's not hard to see. People aren't fools. The people of Russia can know exactly how to read between the lines of Pravda. And we all learned, uh, people of mine and your age learned very early how to read between the lines of of CBS News and later CNN and and Fox. Uh, So people aren't stupid, and I think that's the biggest mistake a lot of media outlets make these days is that they they look down on their audience and – and really, they tr- they treat them like they're fools. And people aren't people. People, as a rule, are, are bright. Right, absolutely. And uh, well, you know what? You worked uh, you worked right down the road from me, and in uh, Taylor, right at the yes. Taylor Daily Press. Taylor Daily Press. Yep, that's only about uh, about thirty minutes from me. Uh, but you're right about folks being able to read between the lines. You know, uh, Appleseed. A lot of times, it'll get. Uh, We've gotten some really rough usage uh, from the press. Uh, the New York Times did a piece on us, and uh, and of course now we we talked to that author, and uh, and he said uh, we kept asking when the stories was coming up, and he said, well, he kept turning it in, and they kept making him rewrite it. And, uh, <laughs> it's not so right. So we kind of knew where that was going to head up, and it was right. you know they were just they were trying to get. Uh, it seems like that that. They're trying to get as much of the uh, as much noise out of it, as much sensationalism uh, as they can. I did a uh, a news story here with I think CBS News, and uh, and of course it started out with uh, there's a man in Central Texas who wants to put a gun in the hand of every man, woman, and child in uh, in America. <laughs> and I thought, I go, well, you know, I don't know if that's such a that's not a bad idea. Maybe not every one, but and the very next thing, before they even talked about the interview with me, they went straight to the Anti Defamation League and uh and had a had an interview with them and the interview there said, uh, well, we've been following the Appleseed project and we do not feel that they're a threat to the nation at this time and uh, <laughs> and that was the that's how it went and yeah. Uh, so we've gotten a lot of rough usage, but a lot of times uh, some of the folks at Appleseed will tell me, "Oh my gosh, look what they did!" And I said, "Look, the the public, the the public, it, it's not new to this. They they know exactly when they're watching a certain station, they know what it's going to say, and they know how they're going to say it, and they can they can read between the lines, and they can interpret what's being said, and why it's being said, or the slant in it, and." Uh, at the end of the day, there's almost no publicity that's bad publicity. So, but there's there's certainly been a decline, I think, in the uh, in the the ethics or uh, in the way that journalists at one time conducted themselves. I mean, do you do you agree with that? 
I think so. Um, I think at least it's a lot more out in the open, which in some ways is really a good thing. Uh, you know, if, if you're dealing with somebody who's a really artful liar, that's a lot tougher than dealing with somebody who's who's not so good at it. You know, when you look at him, you go, hey, I know you're lying. So really, to me, it, 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 we're in a better situation today than we were, say, in 1975 or, or 85 when a lot more people, a lot more of, Amer- of Americans really trusted the news outlets. Uh, right, I think today they've proven that, them. Oh, go ahead. So I was just going to say, you still can't say that, uh, uh, I'm saying that I can't say that, uh, that it's always been better because it hasn't. I mean, we look at, uh, look at all the way back to the turn of the century and you had, uh, uh, at the time, all the, all the yellow journalism that was running at the time. So it's not something new, but, uh, but, but we, again, we certainly but, have our own brand of it now. Well, yes, we we do. But I guess I guess all I'm trying to say is, that, and really, I think in terms of the overall situation, we're the people who are uh, the truth is a lot easier to find because people have become much more, uh, much better consumers, let's say, of news right. than they were in 1975. In 1975, uh, CBS News came on, and basically they read the gospel for 30 minutes, and America said, "Oh, okay, that's how it is." That's and all there now, was. Now they turn on the news, and uh, and somebody uh, gets on there, and 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 uh, I think most of America listens listens between the lines, reads between the lines, uh, and really is looking for the truth with the realization that this is not the gospel; that there is a slant here. Right, and listen on that. The shirt that I got from you, uh, nice I bought from your daughter. She's a really good salesman. Uh, the shirt <laughs> yeah. that I got. Is the uh, the Mahan's pressure, and it has uh, a picture of a rifle over uh, the top of a printing press, and right. uh, and then uh, tell us what the caption says and why you think that that it's important. Well, the the caption is "Freedom's Fists," which is a, a lot of S's, but uh, <laughs> to pronounce. <laughs> but uh, oh, let's see. Freedom, I guess if there was a, an overarching principle in my life or something that guides me, it is a, a search for freedom. I think uh, our Creator put us, put us here on this earth in a free state and intended for us to exist in that state. Um, I don't think there's anything more important for human beings to seek here on this earth in terms of earthly things, than, than freedom. Uh, man is at his uh, at his very best and does his most magnificent things when he is free to uh, to act or to, or not to act, depending on on what the situation is. And uh, I think there's there's two bulwarks uh, that really uh, that protect freedom or. Uh, from from all that would would uh, take it away and enroach upon it, and those two, and the first of those is is our ideas, thoughts, uh, and the, the the beauty of the printing press and is uh, you know starting with Gutenberg some 500 uh, years ago was that all of a sudden ideas weren't the realm just of a few scholars locked up in a in a monastery somewhere. You you could start sharing the 
the word, so to speak. And of course, first we shared the word of God, and then we uh, we started sharing a lot of other ideas. And all the basically all of the knowledge of mankind is written down somewhere. So I, I love the printed word. And then, of course, uh, I make a living printing words, so it's it's near and dear to my heart that way, too. But uh, I think there's two things that protect freedom, uh, and that one of one of them is, is our ideas that perhaps, uh, and one of those ways to, to put them out there is, is, the, is the printed word. And then, of course, uh, uh, there, to be free, man has to be, one, educated, but two, he has to be able to demand his freedom, to protect his freedom. And uh, firearms are the best way we have uh, ever invented as human beings to do that, from a personal scale to a national scale. When you, uh, If we defend our, our home against a, a would-be robber or our family, we're protecting freedom, our freedom, on a very personal and, and small scale. But uh, it all comes down to advancing and protecting the idea of of, of, of freedom for, for men. There, that was yes, a pretty wordy and rambling explanation, but well, <laughs> the I think best you're going to get tonight. absolutely it. I mean, there's no way for you to know, uh, there's no way for you to know what the right thing is to do unless you know what has just happened. And uh, if you go to an apple seed, we're going to be there talking to you about the history of the nation. And unless you unless you have read your history, unless you know your history, well, the, you know, the saying is you're doomed to repeat it. And that's absolutely the truth. If you don't know who you are or what you've done or why you've done it, then then how do you know what you're supposed to do? And it's very important that the truth, is always guarded. Uh, it's even unto death that uh, that our right to hear the truth being spoken is guarded and defended. And the only way you're going to do that, the only way that that's ever going to be done, uh, I guess, until we get laser rifles or something like that, is with firearms. And uh, and that's the way it has always been done. And that's the way it's always going to be done. At the end of the day, somebody is going to be protecting or defending your rights, and somewhere near to them they're going to have a firearm, whether it's the police or the military, or you yourself doing it, you yourself making sure that that you have uh, a firearm and that you're ready to defend uh, your freedoms, your liberties, your family, your community. And that's absolutely uh that's absolutely the the word at the end of the day. Well, I'm sure I'm sure you can probably hear the English lady uh, in our ears telling us there's uh, 60 seconds left. So I want to tell you, Smokey, how much I appreciate you taking the time out to come on the air and talk to us about the show, about the uh, the event, and about how much we appreciate you uh, you putting it on every year and then doing your best to get the uh, written word out to folks. Uh, thank you. Uh, God bless and keep you smoky. And uh, I'll be talking to you between uh, now and next year because uh, I want to throw my hat in the ring as soon as possible. Well, Michael, we sure I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And 
and thank you for all the good work you do with Appleseed and all the all the guys out there that support Appleseed. It's a great program, uh, and we need to keep it up. It's good. It's good for our country. All right, and listen, we'll. Uh, I'll be talking to uh, to Smokey, and as soon as Smokey lets me know uh, where you can get more information, then I'll tell you where you can get it. All right. Thanks again, Smokey, and. Uh, I'll talk to you uh, sometime in the next uh, month or two or wherever, and we'll get the information out to folks. Good deal. Thank you, Michael. Have a good night. All right, thanks. God bless you and keep yours, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right, folks, I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. I probably lost uh, a good part of the audience. I think that they they just probably just cut me off. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next Thursday. 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And uh, until then, God bless you. Keep everyone. And uh, you can find out more about the interaction, uh, photographs, and stuff like that by going to DiamondRoadUSA.com. Uh, All right? Thanks and good night, everybody.